Hey, we're talking about, uh, we're moving through the Bible this year. We're actually going to come to the end. Let me tell you where we're going in the next couple weeks. Next weekend, we're going to be in 1 Peter, because that's what we'll be reading. And then the last two weeks, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. And uh, so that's how we're going to finish out this year. Uh, we call the series Eat This Book. We'll be kind of going through it at 20, 30,000 foot level, trying to preach on passages where you'd be reading. And I hope you're doing that. Most of all, I hope you're taking the Bible every day and you're re- taking a portion, you're reflecting, reading a portion of it and reflecting on it and saying, God, speak to me through your word because we believe that this is God's word, that it's, it's uh, sweeter than honey, it's more precious than gold and silver. And it really speaks to those needs in our lives that uh, only the Bible can speak to. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, faith. And in the middle of the book, you know, towards the second third of the book, or two-thirds of the book, you have uh, chapter 11, which is the heroes of the faith. And when you think about faith, you say, I think most of, often when we think about faith, we think, oh, I wish I had more faith. I'm... Or, I don't have enough faith. Or, you know, you're like the, the man who said to Jesus, I believe, but help, help me in my unbelief. And, you know, Jesus didn't chide him for that. He didn't say, oh, forget it. You know, if you only have a little faith, forget it. He, he says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I think that's where, if we are honest, most of us are at that place where we say, you know what? I believe, but I struggle sometimes. I have questions sometimes, and I have doubts sometimes. And, and so we're going to look at what does the writer say about faith. It's really interesting what he has to say about faith in chapter 11. There's really some um, incredible theological and philosophical implications to that. But let me just give you a quick overview of the book of Hebrews in general, okay? So we really don't know who authored Hebrews. Some people think Paul, but it doesn't seem like it. Uh, the letter was written to people. It's probably written to, to a group of Jewish Christians who had converted over to uh, Christianity, and they were being persecuted for their faith. And they had thoughts of, you know what, life was easier when we weren't following Jesus. We weren't being persecuted, and and life was a little bit easier. Maybe we ought to go back. You know, it's it's almost like the people when they were in bondage in Egypt and they got set free and they are out in the wilderness and they go, you know what, life wasn't so bad as a slave in Egypt. Maybe we ought to go back. That's kind of what they were struggling with. And so the author is encouraging them to keep on trusting in the Lord. Don't give up. Stand your ground. And he encourages them. He's really saying to them, listen, don't think of this as a, as a sprint. The Christian's life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a journey. Uh, it's a journey. It's not a jaunt. It's, it's something that's going to, you're going to stick, you need to stick with it. Um, the letter begins, and it basically says Jesus is superior. He's above and beyond. He's better than. And he talks about better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron. And Aaron represented the whole law system. And it wasn't saying the law was bad, but he's just saying Jesus transcends or fulfills the law. We don't need the law anymore. And so he goes through all of that. But he challenges his readers all the way through the book not to give up, not to give in, that they're to press on, that they're to have faith. So what do we mean by that faith? Well, we want to look at uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews. And there's four things that I think we can pull from just the verses we're going to look at about faith. Let me read you the first one. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hoped for will actually happen. 
It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That we now, what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And so faith allows us to see with our, what we can't see with our eyes. Essentially, that's what he's saying here in these verses. What he's saying is really an incredibly important principle. What he's saying here is that faith helps us explain the world. It helps us to see a part of the world that we can't see with our physical eyes. It allows us to make sense of this physical world that we live in. And here's what's going on. We have a world around us. We have a pop culture around us. We have a cultural stream of belief and teaching that basically says all there is is what you can sense, what you can touch, what you can taste, what you can see, what you can hear. With your senses, that's all there is. That's the only world there is. There is no spirit world. There is no other world. There's just what you can experience with your senses. In fact, Bertrand Russell said this. He, he called our life, he said this. He says, life is an accidental co-location uh, co or it's a, a placing of atoms. Life's just a placing of atoms. Now, if he's right, and he had a lot of followers, and, and that, that teaching is still true today, there's many people that hold to this view of materialism that says all there is is this world and what we live in. And you live and you die and that's it. You know, I mean, there is no God. There is no spirit world. There are no spirits. There, there is no, you know, there is no life after death. There is nothing. And, and Bertrand Russell basically said all we are is just an arrangement of atoms. That's it. That's what we are. And uh, if that's true then life is really nothing more than an accident because you can't really... The atoms are just going to arrange or there's a chemical reaction that's going to take place. There's no such thing as beauty. There's no such thing as love. There's no such thing as good or bad. It's just a matter of... For instance, have you ever been in love? Have you ever been in love? Are you in love? I mean, do you say to your children, I love you when you put them to bed at night? Do you say to your mom and dad, Mom, Dad, I love you? Do you, do you say to your wife or your husband, I love you? You know, do you say to your friend, hey, you know, I love you. I care about you. Now, if you were a husband and you were taking your wife out on your anniversary and she says, you know, it just, it's been great, you know, wonderful. And, and he says, you know, I love you, but that's not really me speaking. That's the atoms and how they've arranged. That's, that's just a chemical reaction in my brain. I don't know what I'm doing here. Or the opposite is, you, your, your wife says to you, can't you ever say I love you? I don't know, the, the atoms haven't come together for me yet. It's, there's no chemical reaction. You know, I care about you, whatever that means. You see where it gets silly. Now we know that there's something, there's an emotion. And, and emotion we know within us, deep within us, that there's something that is beyond us. There's something more than the physical. There's beauty, there's emotion, there's... We know when things are right and wrong. We know when things are evil. We, we see that and we say, there's got to be something to explain this. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Faith helps us to see that there is something going on behind, beyond this physical world. And you can only see it with the eyes of faith. You can only see it with the eyes of faith.
C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, naturalism, and that's just a belief that all there is is this physical world, and that we're merely accidents, and we're merely evolving in this world. Naturalism leads us to, into this end, to a quite and final hopeless discord between what our minds claim to be and what they must really be if naturalism is true. It is when one has faced the preposterous conclusion that one is at last ready to listen to the voice that whispers, but suppose we really are spirits. Suppose we really are not the offsprings of nature. And what Lewis is essentially saying there is if we hold to naturalism, we have to deny this voice within ourselves that says there's something more than me. There's something more than atoms. There's something more than nature. There's something beyond me. There's, some, there's an eternity within my heart. The scripture says that he's written eternity on our hearts. That there's another world that we can't see with our physical eyes. Now, every one of us, I believe, if we were honest, we would say, I know there's another world. I know there's a world that I can't see. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, the only way you'll see this world is through faith. Naturalism claims that it's not there, but we know it is. We feel it. We experience uh, it. explains many things. It answers many questions. And so the first thing we need to see about faith is faith helps us to see an unseen world. And it helps us make sense of the world we live in. We know that there, there are times where we just see just unabashed evil. And, and, and faith helps us to see that there's a spiritual dimension to life. And, and, and that helps us explain evil. It helps us explain love and beauty and, and joy and, and all those other things. I mean, frankly, do you really want to say, oh, it's just a chemical reaction. It's just an arrangement of atoms. We know there's more than that. In our hearts, we know that. And, and what the writer first says is faith helps us to see beyond the physical. Secondly, look at what he says in verse, uh, I think it's, I put four through eight, but I'm actually jumping down a little bit. It talks... Uh, where he talks about Noah. He says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who, wanted, who warned him about all the things that never, that never happened before. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And so what, what the writer here is doing, he's, he's talking about different characters, but he's talking about this idea that faith not only helps us to see an unseen world beyond the physical, but help, faith brings us to a crisis point in our lives. Faith will bring us to a crisis point. Every one of us must decide. We have to come to a place where we say, is there or is there not a God? We come to that either-or moment. We say, either there is a God or there isn't a God. And it has incredible implications for the rest of our lives. Not only this life, but the next life. So, uh, you know, you think about Noah, Noah and, and Abraham and Moses. And then he lists others in this chapter. And what you could see in every one of their lives is God, they, meet, they have a God moment. They have a, a, a crisis moment where they have to decide whether God really is God or not. So, in the case of Noah, God comes to him and says, Noah, I want you to build me a boat, an ark. And I want you to gather together these animals because I'm going to destroy the earth. And you say, okay, so we know the story, but never rained before. 
And, and so can you imagine building that and trying to explain to your neighbors, your friends, the people around you, what you're doing? They would think you're absolutely out of your mind. He's, Noah's gone bananas. And, and essentially what it had to come down to is Noah had to believe in God. Think about, uh, think about uh, Abraham. God says to Abraham, Abraham, you have a nice uh, family. You have a nice community you're living in. Leave your community, leave your family, and you go to a place. And Abraham, you know, could have said, well, where? Where, where are you sending me? And God says, I'm not telling you. <laughs> you. I'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> You'll know when you get there. And how many of us like that? Oh, you're moving. Where are you moving to? I don't know. I'm moving. God told me to move. And, and, and so there's a moment in Abraham's life where he had to say, is God God? Is he there or not? Either or. And we come to that crisis moment. And faith will take you. It'll bring you to that moment where you say, either he is or he isn't. And then let me get, go, do one more. Moses. So Moses, God says to Moses one day as he's out in the wilderness and he sees a, a bush on, on fire and it's not consumed. And God out of the bush speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> what, what does God say? What, what does uh, M- Moses say to, to uh, He says, well, who do I say sent me? <laughs> tell him God did. <laughs> so Moses is going to walk down to Egypt and he's going to tell the world power leader at that moment that he's going to let millions of slaves go because God told him to. Now think about that. That's a crisis moment. That's a, is God God or not? And that's what faith does. Faith brings us to a crisis moment. You know, when we come to those crisis moments, it's probably not a voice from a bush. It's not probably God saying to us, build an ark. It's probably, uh, it's probably not uh, leave your home and go somewhere. It's probably more like this, where we ask questions. The questions we ask are something like this. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Is, is, is there any significance at all to my life? I mean, am I just on this, this rock we call earth for no apparent purpose? Am I really just a mass of atoms? Is my life, my thought patterns, just a, 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 a creation of chemical reactions? Is, is that all life is, really? And, and you know what? Many of you have come to that place. And you know what? You get to the point where you say, I believe within my heart that there's something more to my life, that my life has a purpose, that my life, there's a meaning, there's something beyond my life, there's something apart from me. It's eternity in our heart. We believe that, and we have to come to a point, and I'm not saying, essentially what we're not, I don't, I don't think he's saying here, he's saying, believe that God exists. Uh, it goes deeper than that. It goes to the point of saying, if God does exist, and he is God, then that has incredible implications on my life, on who I am. In other words, if he is God, that means he is my creator. If he is my creator, he has sole rule over my life. And the only response that I have, the only response that I ever could have, is to obey him and to give my life to him. That's the only correct response I could have, if he is God. 
There can't be two gods in this universe, and you're not one of them, and I'm not either. So essentially, you come to the point where you say, I don't just believe there is a God. I believe that God has the right and to rule and reign over me. And that's what happened to, to Abraham and to Noah and to Moses. They came to a point where they said, I will obey. And you say, well, how do I know if... I've come to that crisis point, and if I've crossed that line, simply this. What is your desire today? Is your desire to follow and obey God? Or are <laughs> you still having that tug-of-war? you still having that battle? You see, either everything is meaningless, or God gives everything meaning. And if he is God, and if he is there, then he has the right, and he has the desire to direct our lives for our good, ultimately, it was what it comes down to. Now, my crisis of faith was when I was 18 years old, and I had believed in God, I think, most of my life. I was raised in a family that believed in God, so it wasn't a matter that I, didn't, I had to believe in God. It was a matter that I had to say, is, this, is my life here significant? Is there a purpose to my life? Is there more to life than just getting a degree or making money or working a job or getting married or having a family. Is my life, is there more to life than that? You think about that for a moment. You know, you say, well, I want to leave a legacy in my life. Um, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but just think in your, your own life, how many of you know detailed information about your great-grandparents? Probably most of us would say, I know their name, I think. I think they lived... You don't know anything about them. How, how well will your kids know your great-grandparents and their accomplishments, how much money they had, where they lived, any of that stuff? You see, we want to say, what well, I want my life to me make, make a difference and, and, and to be remembered. And we all say, we're going to remember you forever. And we get busy with our lives and the holidays. And some of you have lost loved ones. And you say, you know, I feel guilty because I don't remember them. I'm forgetting them. And all I'm trying to say here is that the only way that our life can have meaning and have purpose is not by living in the memories of those who go after us, but living in the memory of God and being connected with God. That's where our life finds purpose and meaning and all that stuff. And so I came to a crisis point in my life where I said, I believe God is God, and I believe being God, he has a right over me. And, I, as he, and then I learned that he sent his son and Jesus gave his life to me, and I realized that my only response would be to give my life to him. And we began a journey uh, a number of years ago, and uh, that was my crisis point. So I want to ask you, have you had that call of God on your life? Have you been brought to a place of crisis where you said, is life worth living? Is there a purpose? Is there a meaning to life? Or, if I'm, or am I just a, an arrangement of atoms? Am I just a chemical reaction moving on a, on, a, on a rock we call earth? And I just want to say that the writer of Hebrews says, there is an invisible world that you can't see with your eyes, but it's there. And faith will bring you to a crisis point. It brought many of the characters in chapter 11, Moses and Noah and Abraham, to a crisis of faith. And if truly, if God is God and he comes into your life, he will bring you to that crisis point. Number three, here's the third thing that we learned from this chapter. Notice verse 9. And even when they had, he had reached, and he's continuing to, to, to talk about Abraham, and even when he, Abraham, reached the land God promised, 
He lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So get this, he says, God, Abraham, you're going to leave your, your, your comfort zone. You're going to leave your, your, your family and your friends, and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And, oh, by the way, in your whole lifetime, you're not going to see that city, and neither will your children. For many generations, they're never going to see that city. So it's, and, and, and then it says, the writer says, but Abraham was looking for an eternal city, a city that you can't see with your eyes. He never saw the physical city that God promised, but he knew there was an eternal city coming. He knew there was something beyond this physical world that God was promising him, and he lived for that. So faith not only calls us to leave our comfort zone, uh, but it, it calls us to go to an unfamiliar place and it calls us to put our trust in something we can't see. Now, this is where most of us struggle because it says in the last part of the, the verses I read, Abraham was confidently looking for a city with eternal foundations. Now, here's where we get into trouble, I think. This is where I get in trouble. Okay, I'm speaking to myself. I'm not speaking to you. But if it applies to you, you go ahead and just jump on with me. I have found... That when I, since I was born, I have grown very in love and accustomed to the foundations of this world. And when I say the foundations of the wor- this world, what I mean is this. I like the security that having a job and having an income and having insurance and all those things makes. I like that. I like the fact of how being in relationships with my wife and my children, and my family, I like how that makes me feel. I like that it gives me a feeling of significance and security and satisfaction. I like that. I like all those things. And, and we, we, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether it's uh, accomplishments at work or, or making money or uh, having a hobby or having relationships, whatever those are, those are foundations uh, those are foundations that we find in this physical, in this world that we are born into. And we, were, we are born resting and finding our... So- you have to ask a man, generally nine times out of ten, they'll say, what do guys ask each other when they, when they just meet each other? What's the, besides what's your name, what's the next question they ask? What do you do? What are they saying? What makes you significant? Say, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I, 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 I'm a teacher, I, 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 so you, you, you throw that out and sometimes you don't feel good about that and you go, well, (laughs) I'm between, you know, so for a man that, that, that really is a significant thing. Now what happens if you go to work and you're fired? You immediately say, who am I? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And see, what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us is, is, is there's a foundation, an, an eternal foundation, an eternal city that is laid up in heaven. And, and Abraham was counting on that because he never got this. Now, he had these. He left the security of this, this uh, physical world and the foundations that it gave. But here's what he's saying to us, and it's really important for us to hear it. He's saying, the more weight, the more trust, the more you put into this world and you find your, your ultimate sense of security and significance and, and purpose and meaning, when you look to this world, 
you are going to get disappointed. Let me just give you an example. You could have the greatest marriage relationship or friendship the world has ever known. And I guarantee you that one day that relationship will be destroyed because one of you is going to die. There's nothing you can do about that. That's the foundation of the world we live in. And you're, if, if, it's, if it's all, if you're putting all your weight on that, you are going to be total destroyed when that happens. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, take your weight off of this foundation and transfer it to this eternal foundation because this foundation will never let you down. It will never break. It will never crack. And what he's saying is Abraham had his eyes fixed beyond this physical world to a spiritual world, to a promise that God gave them during a crisis point where he said, leave this comfort zone and go to a place that I will show you and I will give you a city that is beyond your wildest dreams, your wildest imagination, and I will give you all the source of security and significance and satisfaction that you could ever dream of if you will trust me. And that's the rub right there. That's where most of us struggle. Faith calls us to transfer our trust from whatever we're leaning on in this world to him. And <laughs> that's a hard thing to do. And, and actually, that's a lifelong struggle to do. And I find myself kind of going back and forth. I take things from here and I put it over here. And then I realize well, before I knew it, it's back over here. And, and you know, you'll know it because when it's challenged, when it's taken away, when it's threatened, you'll go, oh, no, I'm in big trouble. And you realize, no, I put it here. That's why I'm in trouble because that foundation is cracking. Just think about this. The second law of thermodynamics says what? That things are moving from order to disorder. That the, the, it's running out of energy. It's destroying. It's breaking down. That's what it says in the physical world. And when we put all of our marbles there. We're going to be disappointed. Now think about this. This is... So really, you say, well, I've got a PhD. I have this great relationship. I have this wonderful job. I'm making so much money. I'm... I have all of these things that I'm able to accomplish. And you say, great, great, great. And, and, and I heard this a number of years ago, and it really struck me. Think about this. Who are we? We are people in a building on a rock we call Earth, hurtling through the, the universe at millions of miles per hour, hoping we don't run into something on the way. And ultimately, what is going to happen one day for every one of us individually, don't know the day, don't know the time, a trap door is going to open up. And we are going to fall either into the loving hands of God or into eternal darkness. That's what Scripture says. And frankly, when that door opens up, it's not going to matter how much money I have in my bank account. It's not going to matter what, how many degrees I have. It's not going to matter what relationships I have. It's only going to matter if I'm connected to the eternal one. That's really what it comes down to. And that's why Jesus came. So faith calls us to transfer our trust to him. So when the trap door opens up, we fall into his loving arms. Here's the last one I want to talk about. It says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in uh, the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, 
basically, the fourth thing I want you to see is the faith shows us that our only solution, the only solution to our greatest need. Now, this is an amazing story because it's told that uh, Abraham was promised in Genesis 12 that God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that curse, bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And you're going to have many seeds. You're going to have so many descendants you can't even count them. More of the stars of the sky, more of the sand is the sea. And... Uh, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's really old. Sarah's very old. They, they think, okay, this is going to be, have to be a miracle because there's no other way it could happen. And boom, there it is. Uh, they have this, this son. And Abraham has Isaac, and he falls in love with this little boy. It's the son of the promise. It's the son he's always wanted. And now God gives him his, this son in his old age. So he, he loves this son. And, and God says, okay, Abraham, I'm kind of concerned, and, and I'm kind of skimming, and I'm kind of throwing my own commentary in. Please understand that. He says, uh, I'm concerned about this relationship that you have with your son, that you're kind of making that uh, a source of significance, a source of ultimate uh, satisfaction, and, and you're transferring your trust from me to you. So here's what I want you to do. Bring your son and go to a place, again, that I will show you. And he goes, and they come to a mountain, and they uh, leave the servants uh, at the bottom of the mountain, and they climb up the mountain, the father and the son, and they have the wood and the boy and the father. And this, the boy says, uh, we have the wood for the fire, but we don't have a sacrifice. And the father is thinking, yeah, we do kind of have a sacrifice. And he ties his son up and he lays him on the altar and he raises a knife. And as he's about ready to bring the knife down on his son, God says, stop. Now I know, now I know that you love me more than him. That you've transferred that trust. And so God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket and they, they sacrifice the lamb. And uh, the picture is incredible because many years later, another father would bring his son to a mountain and he put him up on an altar, but this time the altar was a cross and, and he was tied to the cross and the, the, the knife went up, the spear came out. And yet, the, when there was no one to yell stop because the father allowed his son to be executed, to be uh, crucified. And it said that Jesus was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. And so the, the wrath of God poured upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus came as the ultimate fulfillment as, as Abraham was ready to offer his son God the Father offered His Son on the altar for us and gave His self for us. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that God gave His Son and Jesus gave His life so that we could live forever. And when we join Him by faith, we begin to find life. And we begin to live in two worlds, the seen and the unseen, but they take on new meaning. Both worlds take on new meaning. The, this seeing world, we see beyond this world. We see forces that are affecting this world, but yet we see beyond this world to, a, to an eternal home. We see the promises of God, and we, we still are in the struggle right now, but we see all of that, and we see most of all, we see a Savior who came and gave his life for us. Oh, where are you today? Maybe you're a doubter. You know what? If you doubt Christianity, if you doubt uh, Jesus, that, you know, many people do. And maybe you're here and that's, that's you today. I just want to say, you're trusting, you have your faith in something or someone. You do. 
We are people that believe in something. We trust in something. But whatever this thing is, if it's not Jesus, it can't save you from your sins. It can't give you eternal life. It can't explain an unseen world. Maybe you have concerns. You say, well, if I do this, if I give my life to Jesus, if, if I truly uh, do that, I may lose some things from this world because I've got status right now. I've got money right now. I've, I, I've, I've got a, a marriage. I've got security. I've got significant. I've got all these things. I've got a family. You know, they, they're going to think I'm nuts. And what do I tell my husband? What do I tell my wife? Because they're going to, this is going to put a wedge between us. This is, do I really want to do that? I mean, I understand you're, this is, this is what it means. You know, people came to Jesus and Jesus said, come follow me. And he says, one guy came up and he says, you know, uh, I had a death in the family. I have to go attend to this funeral and I don't have the time to go into all the things. And Jesus basically says, let the dead bury the dead. Maybe you're here this, this morning and you're afraid. You're afraid of trusting in God. You say, well, what if God fails? Well, I think just the whole definition of God is that God doesn't fail. <laughs> but that's theological. He can't fail. But maybe more you're really asking, I'm afraid of trusting myself. What if I fail? And I would just say, not if, you will. <laughs> the question isn't if, it's when and how many times. See, it's not that, that the great news, the good news is this. It's not what you do. It's not what you're trying to do. And what's, it's what Jesus has already done. It's already what he, he's done. When he climbed up on the cross and he stretched out his arms and he said, it is finished. He, he wasn't saying, okay, now go live a, try to live a perfect life. Try to measure up. Try to keep the law. He's saying, I, I did it for you. Just give your life to me. Let's join this journey and, and we'll, we'll, work, we'll work the dings out as we go. But know this, I'm preparing a place for you, an eternal city. And Jesus said this. I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am, there you'll be always. That's the hope that Abraham had. That's the hope that the writer of Hebrews hopes it will take. And it comes by faith. May God help us to have that faith. It sees beyond this world. sees God. Responds to the crisis call that he gives in our lives who helps us through faith transfer our trust from this physical world to the spiritual world and who sent our desperately needed, most loved Savior, Jesus Christ. May we trust in him. May we have faith in him. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what an amazing uh, passage of Scripture that speaks so directly to our world and to our hearts. And, Father, thank you for the heroes in the chapter, people like Noah, people like Abraham, people like Moses, who weren't perfect <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. And I thank you, Father, that Scripture shows us as we read through their lives that they weren't perfect people. They were just people who placed their faith in you. May everyone in this room, Father, be people of faith, people who aren't really so much concerned with the quantity of our faith, but the object 
May our faith be in Jesus. And as we join you with the journey, in the journey, Father, help us to transfer our trust from this world that's fading away to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.